I want to take as my text this morning that first reading from Genesis chapter 2 and 3. If you're making use of the Pew Bible, you can find that text on page 2 of the Pew Bible. That's, so start at the front and move a page 2. I've never had a page that low, but anyway. In fact, as I was thinking about it in the 30 years or so, am I doing this correctly, 30 years or so, 31 years as a priest, I don't believe I've ever actually preached on this text in church on a Sunday, but we're going to do it today. Genesis chapter 2, beginning at verse 15 on page 2, in in fact, I want us to take a look at that, if you would. Genesis chapter 2 and beginning at verse 15. Notice, and the Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you shall surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. And then notice then, Chapter 3 and beginning at verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not, not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, you may eat, we may eat of the trees of the garden, but God said you, sh- you shall not eat of the tree, the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, And neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, (laughs) You shall not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. And then their eyes were both open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed leaves together and made themselves loincloths. This morning I want to talk about the lesson from Eden. The lesson from Eden. And at least for me, the lesson from Eden is go with God. (laughs) Go with God. Indeed, uh, the woman in Eden decided to go with the serpent. And the man decided to go with his wife. And yet, notwithstanding all the criticisms that the serpent leveled against God and all the promises that he made to the woman, all in all, going with the serpent didn't work out so well at least not the way they expected. And so at least for me, the lesson from Eden is to go with God. (laughs) Now to give the the broader context in which we find our text, we have to go back a little bit, back to chapter 1. In fact, if you notice chapter 1 and beginning at verse 26, and these are words with which you are probably at least somewhat familiar. This is the sixth day of creation, verse 26, chapter 1. And then God said, And let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. 
Verse 27, and so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Chapter 2, verses 7 and 9. And then verse 7, chapter 2, then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath, the ruach of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he informed. And out of the ground the Lord made us to spring up every tree that is pleasant in this, in, in this, to the sight and good for food. And the tree of life and in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was there. Verse 18, and then the Lord God said, it's not good that the man should be alone, and so I will make him a helper fit for him. Verse 21, and so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up the place with the flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, this is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She should be called woman because she's been taken out of man. And then the writer's editorial comment, verse 24. And therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Verse 25. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And so then we come to our text. Verse 15 in chapter 2, And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden to work it and to keep it. And so God delegated to the man an important job, one that apparently was meaningful and, and important uh, to God. The oversight of the garden that he planted, that, that the man should work it and watch over it. In this way, if you, if you like, this man was God's vicar or his representative in the garden. Verse 16, and the Lord God commanded the man, saying, and you shall surely eat of every tree of the garden. And so God made abundant provision for the man and his wife. And every fruit-bearing tree that was in the garden was given to them for food and to, to enjoy. And that with only one exception, just one. Just one prohibition. Verse 17, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which was in the midst of the garden, you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And so the man and the woman were free to eat from every tree in the garden, but one, namely the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the fruit of which, God said, they were not to eat. And then God said very clearly that if they disobeyed him and rebelled against this prohibition and failed to abide by this one and only restriction in the midst of this overwhelming abundance, 
that their disobedience would result in a very straightforward consequence. Namely, as God said, you shall surely die. Now, death, as it's mentioned here and as we see it play out, is a rather loaded word. But we'll see more about that. And then we come to chapter 3 in verse 1, and we read, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast in the field that the Lord God had made. Now, that the serpent was crafty means more than that just that the servant was clever or smart. Uh, he was, as we see, deceitful and beguiling and seductive. And so, verse 1 continues, And the serpent said to the woman, Did God actually say that you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Now, of course, that's just the opposite of what God had said. This reminded me of something that M. Scott Peck wrote in his very intriguing book, People of the Lie. He wrote this. He said, one of the characteristics of evil is the desire to confuse. The desire to confuse. And so the serpent said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? And this is the serpent's first pass to confuse and establish doubt in the woman's mind that perhaps, you know, perhaps God isn't quite as good as maybe you thought. And uh, maybe he's not to be trusted. But the serpent is crafty, and so the woman is uh, unaware of what he's doing, which reminded me of something else, the old saying in boxing, that the punch that knocks you out is the one you never saw coming. And so the woman replies innocently and honestly as if the serpent's misleading question was a sincere one. Verse 2, and she said, the woman said to the serpent, well, no, since you asked the question, let me tell you that um, we may eat of the tree, or the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Verse 4, but the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. Now that's an outright contradiction to what God said. God said that they would. The serpent says uh, that that's not true. Indeed, God said uh, to Adam. In fact, God said it directly to Adam, and Adam told his wife what God had said relative to what we can eat and this one thing we're not supposed to eat. I can imagine her saying, well, can we touch it? And, she, and he said, just stay away from the tree, you know. She's the one who says, and we're not supposed to touch it. But that wasn't what God said to Adam, but that seems to be something that's in the forefront of her mind. You know, just stay away and don't touch it. But that's what God uh, said in chapter 2 and verse 16. You, shall surely, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. And, and the serpent said, that's not true. You shall not die, chapter 3, verse 4. Now, of course, the serpent and God can't both be right. And I'm guessing you know who's lying and who's telling the truth. 
In fact, in John chapter 8 and verse 44, Jesus says something about Satan. In fact, that's who we're really dealing with here. In John chapter 8 and verse 44, Jesus said, And when the devil lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar, and he's the father of lies. In Revelation chapter 12 and verse 9, this coming together of the serpent, the devil, and Satan is revealed. In fact, in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 9, uh, John the Revelator says, And I saw the great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. In fact, this isn't just about the serpent and the devil and and Adam and Eve, the woman, the man, Jesus in the wilderness. This is about you and about me. And so the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. In fact, the serpent says, for, verse 5, for God knows that when you eat, your eyes will be opened and you shall be like God, knowing good and evil. And so what's the devil saying? The devil is saying to the woman that God is lying because he's trying to keep something good from you. And so God is a liar and a deceiver. I mean, this is almost straight out of Alinsky's Rules for Radicals. (laughs) Accuse your enemy of doing the very thing that you're doing. And so the devil says, God knows that when you eat, your eyes will be open. That is, God knows that when you eat from the tree and the fruit that he told you not to eat, God knows that you'll be enlightened. And God doesn't want you to be enlightened. He wants to keep you in the dark. In fact, that's related to the second thing. God knows that if you eat from the tree that he told you not to eat, he knows you'll become like God. He'll become like you. But God doesn't want that. Because God covets the power that he exercises over you. And if you become like God, you'll pose a threat to him and his absolute power over you. And God knows that if you eat of the tree from which he told you not to eat, you will come to know the difference between good and evil. Now that is a true statement. By the way, that's the devil and that's how he always does. He will mix as much truth with the lies that he's telling you so that you won't notice the lies. But that's a true statement. And you will know when you eat, you will know the difference between good and evil. But it it, it doesn't, what the devil means and what what the woman is thinking about when he says that isn't just exactly the way it's going to happen. The woman already knows by experience what is good and when she eats the food, she will come to know What is evil? But not because the fruit possesses some sort of, some property in itself. 
that when eaten, it instills knowledge. Rather, she will come to know what is evil through her disobedience and her falling away from God. That is to say, she will come to know what evil is by doing evil and by suffering its consequences. But that's something she's yet to find out, namely that the wages of sin is death. Indeed, as the apostle wrote in his letter to the Romans, Romans 6 and verse 23, for the wages or the payment for, for sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. But in verse 6 it says, and, and so when the woman heard all of this and she looked over at the tree she saw was good for food, well, I, it's not likely to poison me if that's what God means by death. And that it was a delight to the eyes. I don't know about you, I haven't ever been tempted by Satan with anything that was ugly or unappealing or less than enticing. And so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, that's what the devil said. <laughs> you will be enlightened. You will be like God and you will know. She took the fruit and she ate it. And she also gave some to her husband with her and he ate. And then the eyes of both of them were open. And they knew that they were naked. And so they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths or clothes, aprons, I think, in the King James. And so the woman acted upon the devil's lie because she was convinced that much good would come from it. He was very convincing. Indeed, just as someone has written, Satan's primary tactic of deception is to make us think that we will gain what is good by doing what is wrong. That we will gain what is good by turning our backs on God. But that's not exactly what resulted from her disobedience and the disobedience of her husband. Instead, for the very first time, they noticed that they were naked. And the very first time, they felt feelings of fear and vulnerability. Indeed, for the first time, they felt what it was like to feel threatened. And so they hid themselves from one another. I don't imagine they said, hey, you know what, come on over here and let's make some... No, I probably, they probably went in opposite directions. Fitting room for women, fitting room for men. And then once they had fashioned clothing from the leaves and it was to their satisfaction, then they came back together. But they hid themselves from each other and then they also hid themselves from God. Well, how interesting. In fact, look at verse 8, which is just beyond our text. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, like he did with them every day. 
and the man and his wife hid themselves. Well, now God's a threat. And the man and the wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Someone has written, for many people, obedience is an unpleasant concept. But what's the opposite of obedience? The opposite of obedience is disobedience. But what's to be gained by disobeying God? Indeed, if obeying God leads to blessing and reward, and disobeying God leads to the opposite, one might think that we'd think differently about obedience. But perhaps that's just the point. Perhaps we're not thinking. And so I wonder, what do you think about all of this? For me, the lesson from Eden is to go with God. (laughs) Amen? Let us pray. As someone said, it's simple but not easy. I suppose it's not easy, especially when your voice, Lord, is always so small and so still, and the voice of the evil one, the voice of the world, the voice of the flesh is always shouting and demanding our attention. And too often, just as we just read, we give it our attention. We take that seriously, but perhaps you not seriously enough. And then we pay the consequences for it and all of our brokenness results. But you're the great healer. And you are one and true. And so help us maybe to think about this in a way that we haven't thought about it before and drawing its lesson to live according to it, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.